0: build your cultural competence listen to interesting stories learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them get the global perspective here at culture matters podcast on international business We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. Here's your host, Chris Smith.
1: My guest this week is Dorothy Dalton. Dorothy is an international talent management strategist who connects people, organizations and opportunities. She's co-founder of 3 Plus International, an organization to support professional women via mentoring and coaching programs.
0: It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone, listeners, it's Monday, 18 February 2013, and my guest for this episode of the Culture Matter podcast is Dorothy Dalton. Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, Dorothy
2: um good morning um i'm in sunny belgium right now it's actually we've got a blue sky and lots of sun so it's it's a good change from the past couple of weeks
1: excellent well i'm i'm not that far i'm in belgium as well you i think you're in the in the brussels area if i'm not mistaken
2: yeah, that's
1: right. Yeah, and I'm yeah. about twenty kilometers outside of, uh, of Brussels, and here we also have blue skies, so that's nice. But maybe if you're listening as an uh, uh, as a listener to this podcast, you're listening to this in the future, and we don't know at what time you're listening. So hence the introduction of a good morning, afternoon, or good evening. Dorothy, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do in Brussels? Evidently, or evidently, maybe you don't sound really Belgian. So a little bit about your your background, if you uh, if you want, please.
2: Okay, um, well I'm, I'm British, I have a British passport but in, in actual fact I I was just working out that I probably now have lived outside the UK for as long as I lived in it, so I'm mm-hmm. um, a very long term expat or emigre probably is, is now the, the correct word.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, I started my career in, in the UK and I moved initially to, to Luxembourg, mm-hmm. um, then to Belgium. I'm What would be described um, as an international talent management strategist? So um, I work on both sides of the executive search spectrum and I help people from hire to retire in terms of career transition. I'm an economist Mm
0: -hmm.
2: um, by academic background. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got a postgraduate qualification in um, human resource management and i've lived in four countries but i work internationally yeah and and i found that obviously having those different multicultural experiences it, it, it does impact the way you view things i think
1: Oh, well, absolutely definitely um you say you have a british passport but you mentioned the word passport what how would you consider or what do you would you consider your culture being at this moment
2: um, I think I'm a hybrid, actually. I, I think of myself as being European,
0: mm-hmm.
2: probably. Um, when I go back to the UK, I find that I'm, I'm not quite a foreigner in my own country, but simil- similarly, that, yeah. that I notice the pace of change, that things that have happened when I've been gone, which I haven't been part of. So I find that quite interesting. I, I think that, I mean, I'm sure that you've heard of the, the term third culture. So people who have a passport that's different to, to the, the country exactly. and culture where they live. So, I mean, that's, that's how I feel. I, I feel a hybrid.
1: A hybrid. And that means if you go back to the UK, you still, um, how do you say, you still understand how the game is played, how the, the, the British game, game of life, is played.
2: Um, partly, um, but, but not totally anymore. I mean, and I think that's one of the disadvantages of, of being a very long-term um, expat is that you don't totally understand any culture a hundred percent you have a good you have a good working knowledge of the countries that you live in and you've been accepted into um but also when you've been gone for as long as i have you don't totally understand anymore the way things work in, in what used to be your home yeah. i mean you not because i haven't lived there for 30 years now so that's a long time in, in in which other countries have
1: you lived because so you mentioned four countries
2: well, I'm counting England and Wales as, as two different countries. Oh, okay. it's the way that As the way that Belgian people might even ca- um, count Flanders and, and Wallon, Wallonie yeah. as, as being different. I've lived in Luxembourg and I've lived in Belgium.
1: Oh, okay, excellent. And and um, which country do you prefer the most, if if you can say that?
2: No, I can't. I, I can't actually. I think they're all they're all different. Um, I, I enjoyed living in Luxembourg. I, I had my kids in Luxembourg. You know, it's a great place to bring up kids when they're little. Um, very small country. Everything is very compact and easy. Um, so um, very good in that respect. Um, I was glad to move to Brussels because it was wider. My kids were older and they, they wanted to be in, in you know bigger city in their teenage years. Um, but obviously, I enjoyed living in England and Wales as well. So I, I think they all have different aspects which are useful and which i enjoyed
1: yeah it's my experience that people who uh, like yourself are not living in their own country are um are a little bit how do you say off their own their their passport culture if you understand what i'm saying i mean you have a british passport but you live you've lived for so long in another country belgium in this case that means that that doesn't make you totally british in, in from the start on
2: no, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. And yeah. as I say, when I go back, uh, and, and I've got um, family um, living there, when I go back, that I, that I see developments which I haven't been part of, which are uh, not a barrier, but it, it, I almost view it like an academic exercise, a cultural overview. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, happened, that's happening now in the UK. Oh, that's interesting. Is it? And, yeah, sorry. And, and so I, I just almost, um, it's as though I'm looking from the
1: outside in. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you're, you're, part, you're an actor in a, in, a, in a movie in a way where you can step in and step out.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: That's what I experience as well. When I go back to my, my home country, which is the Netherlands, which is, again, is not that far from, from where, uh, where I'm currently living. It's nice to go back, but it's even better to, to leave again.
2: Really? I mean, you you like to leave. Well, I I just, I don't mind leaving in the sense that my home is where I'm situated at the moment. Uh So um, if I moved again, that that would become my home. So I I, I don't have a sense of home possibly also. Um, there's a really nice phrase about having wings but no roots, and and that's how I feel. I feel that I I don't have any real roots, and for some people that's an issue that they they don't like the way I've chosen to live my life at all because they yep. need to feel rooted somewhere.
1: Yeah, that's true. My wife keeps telling me the same thing as well. Wherever you lay your hat, that's your home.
2: Exactly. Anyway,
1: um, <laughs> when was the what your first memorable memorable encounter with it with another culture when you when you realized hey they're different or maybe I'm different
2: um it was my first move actually when i was six or seven Uh and um I moved from the north of England. I was born in Liverpool, mm-hmm. and um, which I think most non-Brits know um, because of the Beatles. Yeah. And um, there's a very particular regional accent, which a lot of people are familiar with. And I moved to South Wales, which uh-huh. is only 200 miles away. But once again, very different region culture. Identity. And I was... Teased brutally about having this Liverpoolian accent. I'm mean, awful. I mean, kids, the the, the playground is, is an absolute jungle. And um, I got, I had to recite a poem in, in my in my English class when I was seven, and everyone was laughing at my accent. And I got so upset, I ran into the loo's, the toilets, and I was oh, crying. Oh, oh. And when I came out, I'd lost my accent. Didn't have it. <laughs> it was quite. It was just. Quite remarkable and quite tra- traumatic experience. But when I ke- went into the bathroom, I had a Liverpudlian accent. And when I came out, I'd lost it.
1: That's extraordinary.
2: Yeah, it was. It was. But in fact, people can still tell I'm an northerner. Because of the way I, I say certain words, which but are not noticeable to people
1: outside. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to tell. For me, your English is, is perfect, and it's like Queen's English uh, <laughs> or James Bond <laughs> English.
2: Yeah, thank you. Um.
1: Um, Dorothy, what is the pain and joy uh, in in working with different cultures because it's it 's not always easy and and on the other hand, you will get some like extraordinary joys out of that uh, maybe to compensate but can you give, give us some examples of what you experience as being a pain and some some examples of what you would experience uh, as a real joy? Yeah.
2: OK, let's start off with the, the positive. I, I think working with different cultures, you, um, you just get a, a very broad insight into how different people work, how they think. They bring different things to the table, which I think is, is very broadening. It broadens your horizons. Um, and I enjoy that um, enormously. Particularly when you can hear a viewpoint and you think, yeah, that's very Italian or that's very French, very Belgian or or British or whatever. And and you can see all of that coming into a cultural mix. So I think that is great when it works. Um, And and I think the downside is when it doesn't work and, and you can see. The, the, these small conflicts or not so much conflicts but miscommunication mm-hmm. and I know I've, in a professional sense I've been in lots of meetings and I think particularly when people speak speaking English which tends to be the lingua franca yeah. rightly or wrongly yeah. um and I can see people communicating in English, which sometimes is a second or even third language. And I, I know they're headed for disaster because um, they're, they're, they're not understanding each other correctly. Um, but I, so I think that's the main downside. But I think for me generally, it, it's very positive and an, an enriching experience.
0: Mm.
1: And, and you mentioned something about when you see something happening, uh, and you would label that typically as typical Italian as a pointing case. Isn't that a risk, Um, labeling somebody? I mean, putting a yellow post-it on somebody's forehead as a figure of speech and say, okay, you're American, that means you're like this, or this is typical Italian, so you must be typical Italian. How do you deal with that?
2: Um, Yeah, I think you're right. It's not good to to put labels across the board on everyone. I think um, it's also
1: in, inevitable in a way. I'm just curious how you, how you, I mean, you in your professional career, how you deal with, um, with labeling individuals that, that show a certain uh, cultural behavior, if I can say, and then say, okay, that's typical this and this kind of culture. And hence, you must be typical like this and this and this. I mean, it's a trap that is very human to fall into. How do you, how do you deal with that?
2: Well, I think there's, there's a reason why there are, you know, there are jokes about national stereotypes, mm-hmm. um, and I think we all exhibit some of them to some degree. Um, and I can see it, for example, as in my work in executive search,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, CVs are different, resumes are different from one culture to another. So a French resume, CV, will be very different to an American one or an English one, um, Italians also. Um, can can I th- you point out some differences, uh, Dorothy? Um, I, for example, um, it's very common in France to still use a photo on, on a, a French CV. Yeah. Wherein, and I think also to some extent in Italy and Germany. Not so in the UK and um, the States because it, it leads to um, discrimination, based on gender, not gender, but based on um, appearance and maybe race. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that some cultures follow, others don't. And and I think just in structure, Italian CVs tend to be a little bit longer um, than... other countries mm-hmm. i think that's because italians are very vocal and they like to talk a lot and that's okay you know that probably the italians are like on their phones to you now yeah um but, no. but i i think that's that's is is something that i've noticed
1: It's actually very interesting i know about the differences in in cvs uh, for instance uh, being dutch myself i know the dutch don't Exaggerate as much as compare, relatively compared the say the Americans, for instance. I mean, an American CV is almost like selling Superman in a way, and you know, and there's a there's a because there's if if a, if an American would speak French, three words he would say his the command of French would be average, while it, a Dutch CV and I think a German CV would then state what's your your level of French, and that, that would be like three words.
2: Yeah, I mean, literal. I, I, I think that but, but that's also changing, too, as um, companies become multinational and cross-border is that and recruitment practices are changing and becoming more driven by Internet. Um, applications and uploading of CVs so that there is a, a slight shift in if, if you like creating a personal brand which mm-hmm. is you know self-promotion so there is a sales content I think um, in Anglo-Saxon CVs which you don't find in, yep. in other cultures for yeah. sure
1: is there is it, it actually springs to mind a, a, an interesting uh, idea here to write something or maybe you have written or maybe you know where that's available how to culturally structure your c v is there like a checklist available that you know of
0: um,
1: I mean put, yes, I, yes put a picture no put a picture um, uh, exaggerate is the wrong word to my, use with
2: my workshops. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I coach um, an MBA class, an international MBA class in, um, in, in Paris mm-hmm. and at, an, at a, um, a business school. And that is exactly one of the things that we do because they, all of the candidates come from different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what, what would you do? Um, it would be very different, though, for example, if you're a German and you're applying to a German company in Germany, yeah. you would use a different document than if you were applying to um, an American company. Germany,
1: and that's how that's what you, you that's what you teach people during this MBA part of this MBA. Yeah, course.
2: I mean that's that's what I would say. That that at one time we all used to have a static CV, yeah. um, and those days are gone. So everybody has to tweak their CV and make it relevant to um, the, the target um, that they're applying for, either the target company or the target position. So it, it is different.
1: Excellent. Use this as a little bridge, if I may, because um, my computer is open. My computer screen is open, and I'm looking um, at your photograph on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah, you are in executive search. Um, how? What is your your cultural uh, assessment, if you want, of LinkedIn as a um, as a CV platform or professional linking? platform very often the reason i'm asking very often people ask me uh, can you write can you write us a short bio of yourself when i have to do a, uh, a workshop or a presentation of some sort somewhere then i usually refer them to my linkedin profile which has which is my cv i consider that being my my extended cv and people can take out what they need how how do you deal with that is is linkedin a good um, example for for culturally cv cultural natural cv yeah
2: for me for me it is um i mean i I think linkedin is is now becoming indispensable for any professional person who either wants to network be connected Mm -hmm. um make themselves visible in in a professional sense so absolutely i mean i I, anyone i coach i would always advise them to have a linkedin profile and i'm not on the linkedin payroll by the way um (laughs) But having said that, different online platforms uh, have different strengths in different regions. So Germany, Zing is very significant, yeah. and in France, Italy, Spain, video is is also very important. Mm-hmm. So once again, it depends. It depends. You, you you hear that a lot now in in career coaching. It depends. Yeah. So it would depend where you, you want it, where you're living, where your target is. Where, what your career goals are, um, where you go. But I would definitely advise anyone who wanted to work internationally mm-hmm. to to have a LinkedIn profile.
1: Yeah. is, this, is Will LinkedIn be the overarching uh, platform when it comes to um, internationally putting up your CV there?
2: I, I, I think so. I mean, I think a, a lot of the research and, and figures that are coming out is... Um, is that I think the last figure I saw was that ninety percent of, of headhunters and recruiters would check out on LinkedIn.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, a lot of recruiters actually hire people to to literally search social media sites looking for candidates, yeah. and and it's obviously used for for vetting and checking any any CV that comes in any other way. So yeah. I mean, for sure, it's it's a huge tool now.
1: Yeah. I, I perfectly, I, I totally agree with that. I, lo- I love LinkedIn to that extent uh, because it's so compact and it, it is so international. Uh, the approach as well. Um, although there's one one downside in terms of LinkedIn. If you're uh, if like yourself and uh, and myself, we're living in Belgium. If you're uh, if you're actually living in the Dutch-speaking city of Hasselt, and you put in your zip code, your postal code you are being, um, you get the city uh, assigned, which is Liège. Okay. And that's that's French-speaking. And in a country as small as it is, uh, which Belgium is, in, and divided in two areas, two parts, the north is Dutch-speaking, the south is French-speaking, and typically hustle is Dutch-speaking, and then you're being assigned to a French-speaking uh, region, if you want. And that's not always um, very uh, culturally sensitive. Uh, yeah, I, I, no, no,
2: I... I, I understand that, but I think that probably if someone has a, a profile on LinkedIn, that they, do you think they're possibly more international than, than that? I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I just wonder if, if that really bothers yeah, people. I do you
1: think it does? I think, I think anybody, indeed, as you say, who has to some extent um, uh, some international outlook will have a LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Also because of the power it has in uh, being found through search engines like Google. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So, so that's yeah. that,
1: that's one of the very strong aspects of uh, of of LinkedIn of having a good LinkedIn profile.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: All right. Um I have another question for you if I can. At, at what moment were you really proud of the way you handled a situation? Like a cultural culturally sensitive situation. Oh,
0: that's
2: that's um that- a tough one, actually. I'm, I'm trying. Or maybe
1: not so proud. I mean,
2: uh... um, I I think um, my my daughter um, has is living in Dubai, mm-hmm. so I think my my kids obviously grew up and were educated in in Europe, went back to the UK to university, and then my daughters moved to Dubai, mm-hmm. and I I got myself into a bit of a tricky situation. Um, we were at a, a restaurant in in in, in Dubai, yeah. and um, an Emirati family came and they lit what looked like an incense stick <laughs> and, yeah. and the smoke was blowing um, onto our table. And, and I asked the waiter to, if, if he would mind asking him if, if they moved it and so that it was out of, out of not blowing on us. And apparently that was a massive faux pas um, that I should never have done that. And, and in fact, it, it was fine. Nothing happened. But I, I could have caused very inadvertently a yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was my most recent and worst memory, I think. <laughs>
1: It. It's it's from an individualistic standpoint. It's very uh, and 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 if you want a low power distance um, perspective, that's a very interesting uh, approach to actually tell the sheikh to um, to
2: to. Put out his incense. Yeah. yeah I, <laughs> I mean, I somewhere. could have... Uh, my daughter saying, oh my God, mum, you could you, you be on the next plane. <laughs> so.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and that, it just goes to show, I mean, you work internationally. You are uh, a British working in an international environment. You work with different cultures all the time and still we keep on making these mistakes. So.
2: Well, and, and apparently they do that to keep the flies away. Ah. Um, so and I, I just didn't um, realise... I mean, I, I was very polite, and and you know, obviously, I'm British, so I went through all the "Would you mind?" terribly,
0: yeah.
2: uh, and <laughs> um, but it was still a cultural faux pas. So, yeah. I mean, even to someone as experienced as as myself, that it's still easy to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. And b- by the way, you wouldn't be on the first plane out. This the, the the Sheikh of Dubai is very approachable. I I spoke to him once, um, only because I saw his car in front of uh, of a big hotel in Dubai. And I asked the staff where I could find this man, because if, if he's out in the wild, quote unquote, mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind walking up to him and then uh, shaking his hand, which I did. And he's very approachable. And he knew about something about the Netherlands. He'd been there to The Hague and been to Amsterdam. So we had a bit of a chat. So, oh, right.
0: There. OK. Oh, well, that's,
2: that's reassuring. But I still won't make that mistake
1: again. <laughs> very approachable. All right. Um, you mentioned something about uh, apolog- being very apologetic, the British way. What what would we have to do we non-brits to be able to work with you quote unquote in a in a proper way
2: um i think i think it's about language structure partly i mean for example i i i think that brits would con, consider dutch people to be quite direct Broody. um um well, I'm used to it, and I quite like it. Uh-huh. Um, but I, th- I think um, it's it's quite direct. Um, you're quite direct in, in your communication, uh-huh. and um, this is something that that Brits are not direct generally, mm-hmm. and um, so you, quite often you have to, to look for what's not being said or to yeah. read the subtext in in in, in the um, the underplay or the understatement. I think we quite understate. Uh, and we, we do go through it,
1: would you mind terribly, may I, and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the, the nicest example in this is it, when a Brit tells you, I'm sure it's my fault, then it's actually the other way around.
2: Yeah, no, well, you think it's totally your fault.
1: Abs- yeah, well, well, the rest of the nation, the, re- the rest of the world actually thinks, if you, say, if you tell me, uh, Dorothy tells Chris, I'm sure it's my fault, then Chris thinks, I know it's your fault. Cause, and I'm glad you actually acknowledge that this time.
2: Yeah, and no, actually, you
1: mean the 180
2: degrees difference, huh? The yeah, quite quite often. So it's actually, I'm saying that, but really it's your fault. <laughs> so we, we I think, I think non, non-Brits find that sort of subtext quite difficult to follow and some of the protocols, and um, particularly language um because there are more words in in english i think than other languages and it's quite complex and there are lots of subtleties that don't exist in in other languages
1: i mean and you would say americans do it differently do that differently as well are not as indirect as the brits are
2: um yeah i, th- I think the not at the not as yeah uh, let me think what that is. They are more direct than the, the Brits. And, and George yeah. Bernard Shaw said, didn't he, the um, America and Britain, two nations divided by a common language. Yeah. And sometimes I, I can see, particularly with Brits and Americans, that they they are completely miscommunicating. And sometimes I've been in situations where they said, I don't understand what, what you've said. Yeah.
1: On that note, um, Dorothy, you being British, is there something, do you, get the american political correctness and because it's it's so difficult for non-americans to to be able to suss out to feel when they can say certain things in certain situations
2: i i i do because i i work a lot in the states Ah. and and in fact i'm going to over to Boston um, next week to, to run a workshop. Uh-huh. And there are certain things that I might say in, um, in in an international environment that I would be mindful of saying um, in an American environment. And I, I'll have to, some quotes that I use. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to check with my business associate over there if, if they're appropriate. So, I, I mean, I would check. You have to, I, have, I think you have to be more careful um, in an American environment than that you do in an international or British environment. Yeah. I agree, we're, we're less politically correct.
1: Yeah, yeah. I find that very, a very difficult component in American, uh, American culture. In and by itself, it's relatively easy, at least I find, to deal with Americans. But this political correctness is something which is really sensitive and, and, and hard to understand when you can say one thing and when you cannot say the same thing in another context.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree, and it's also confusing because I think also we see so much on television and films yeah. that were, which is the reverse. So True. you think there is a wider acceptance, but I think in in everyday life it, yeah. it is it is more politically correct. Yeah, excellent.
1: Um, we're um, we have had each other on the on the phone, if you want, through Skype for about thirty minutes. So um, I don't want to keep the uh, the audience too long from uh, from whatever they're doing uh so i have one or oh, two final questions for you if i can a, a few words of wisdom from your your side to uh, the audience can you give uh, the listening audience three cultural tips when dealing with another culture
2: i think one of the most important things is to um what I would call attentive listening so that to Attentive listening ad, Attentive listening yeah. so not to, to listen and observe Yeah before speaking usually and, and to ask and to ask questions so if you if you find yourself confused about something to, to ask to ask questions that are, are appropriate and rather than going, oh my god you don't do that here do you but rather you know what, help me understand why you do that Yeah And to really find out what the situation... Because sometimes there are almost always reasons why people do things in a certain way. And rather than taking a a position before you know about it to, to ask questions, to get them to explain the background I think that would be
1: um, one of my main tips. Excellent I'm so glad you said that because this is something that I when I get the question like what should I do uh, when I do a training a workshop and and somebody in the in the in the group actually asks the question what should I do and and I I've, I've always said and I've always done exactly what you just said ask if you don't understand. And ask why are you doing this and this i don't understand can you explain and i've never i've never found anybody ever being from any culture being offended by asking if you if if they can explain what they're doing
2: yeah exactly and i think i think it's provided that you go in with the the right attitude and that you're not culturally arrogant mm. and i think sometimes people are culturally arrogant they think that their way is better than anybody else's. Yeah. And it's not necessarily better. It's just different. Yeah. Um, so definitely ask questions, listen, observe as well. and Attentive definitely.
1: listening and asking questions.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Excellent. Okay.
2: Any other it's, tips? Um, I think wherever you go, wherever you live, always try and learn at least some of the local languages. Yeah. Because I think that's something that... Um, some people are not good at and it puts them at a disadvantage. And I think it just shows that you care and you're happy to be part of a different culture. Even if you just have the basics, you know, you can order a beer or you can say good morning or thank you or whatever. But if you have some, some basics, yeah. um, I think that's always helpful. And my third tip would be that wherever you go, if you're moving, particularly if you're relocating, accept all invitations in, in the first six months.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I think that, you might not end up being really close friends with the, the first people you meet. Yeah. But it's just about extending your network and it's just a way of of reaching out and giving yourself greater opportunities yeah. to, to make new friends and new yeah. people.
1: Very much agree. Excellent. Very wise, wise tips. Thank you so much, Dorothy. You're welcome. Where can, um, where can people reach you?
2: Well, you can look at my website. Um, so that's www.dorothydalton.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Twitter, mm-hmm. I'm very active on Twitter, uh, um, at Dorothy Dalton, and obviously on LinkedIn. And if anyone wants to connect with me on LinkedIn or to follow me on Twitter, always delighted. What, like yeah, what's your preferred channel, Twitter? Um, no I, I I like them both actually for different reasons so linkedin i I use for professional networking and and Twitter I just like because it's fun.
0: <laughs>
1: Twitter addict no
2: I am not do, but it definitely suits me okay.
1: for sure alright I'll put um, I'll put all the links to your uh, Twitter handle and your LinkedIn profile website etc I'll put that all on the uh, and also 3plusinternational.com yeah, is there okay. as well I'll put yeah, that on the show notes so um, uh, the listeners if you want to uh, uh, didn't get any spelling or if you want to look it up just go to culturematters.com and then find the episode with Dorothy Dalton uh, under the podcast menu Dorothy, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope I said that in the in the most uh, polite way I could do. Uh, Absolutely, with, with, all, with all the best intentions, at least.
2: Yeah, no, it was it was it was fun. I enjoyed myself, and, and I hope people get something out of out of your podcast.
1: All right, thanks so much, and we'll speak later.
2: Okay, thank you. Have a good
1: day. Bye. Bye. I hope you liked this interview with Dorothy Dalton. If you uh, liked it, then you can do me a very great favor. That's going to the iTunes store and give this podcast a rating. The higher, the better, of course. And I'd be really, really grateful and thankful for that. If you want to learn more about cultural, intercultural management or dealing with different cultures, then you can go to culturematters.com slash ebook where you can find my ebook on intercultural management. That was it for this week, this week's Culture Matters Podcast. In two weeks' time, we'll have another one ready for you to listen to. Bye.
0: That's it for this episode, the Culture Matters Podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences.